0: Good morning everyone after the program last night, a nice person asked me a question. Her question was a question that was asked of her. she's a yoga teacher and one of her students asked her that uh, in yoga we teach about detachment but Radha and Krishna are depicted as being very attached to one another. So how will we resolve this? <laughs> On the one hand, we teach about detachment and our ideal is depicted as hopelessly attached. Radha to Krishna and Krishna to Radha. So I gave a, an answer, kind of a longer answer. But the short answer I think uh, the more Zen answer would be that uh, detachment is about coming closer to people. That's what it's about. Detachment is about not moving away from people, but moving closer to people. And this is very much central to, to bhakti, which is a path, a spiritual path that in which we do not progress by detachment in the gyan in a school or a path of of the, uh, the cultivation of transcendental knowledge in contrast to ignorance of material existence one advances by detachment from things that knowledge tells us are here today and gone tomorrow And thus, if your pursuit is enduring happiness or firm ground to stand on, you shouldn't invest your energy in pursuit of such in relation to things that uh, won't endure. That doesn't make sense. That's ignorance. So detachment then corresponds with, with knowledge. Corollary—it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of the outer expression of the knowledge within. So one can say a lot without saying anything if his or her character is detached. I mentioned a fellow last night named Sam Harris who wrote a book called *The End of Faith*. And um, in an interview with him—it was—it was a critique of uh, religion, but. As I mentioned in the end, he, he acknowledged that Eastern mysticism is a, is a valid and logical means of discovery compared to just a belief system. You can do it now, and you can get experience, and uh, and uh, he even kind of reasoned that all the wars that he attributed to religion. Of course, many of them are attributed to non-religious people. If we study the history of the world, there. Stalin's and the and the Mao's and the. Um, Pol Potts and Hitlers and so forth weren't exactly theistic and they were responsible for quite a bit of uh, warfare and so forth compared to the 13 or 14 people that were burned at the stake. Of course Christianity did more than that. <laughs> and, uh, and there's no doubt that, uh, that misunderstanding of religion is, is a type of ignorance that will foster separation, distance, quarrel and so forth, but um, he kind of reasoned uh, that uh, Eastern mysticism offered the end to all wars because it ended the separation between people by by dissolving the conventional sense of self, the Indian self, the American self, the black self, the white self, and so forth. So in in a path of then uh, knowledge will express itself outwardly as detachment. And um, Mr. Harris said, it's possible in an interview I read, it's possible that the happiest man in the world, or woman in the world, is sitting in a cave somewhere, not saying anything. He's been there for 30 years or 50 years or something. So... (laughs) Going inward rather than outward, there's a, there's a lot to be found. We explore the outer world. And if we were to just analyze it accurately for a moment, it's in common English parlance, and it's probably there in every language, some cute saying like, here today and it's gone tomorrow. You can't take it with you, something like that. So this is really common, but we are, see how, how uncommon... Uh, how how lacking in common sense we are! How practical and down to earth um, the most esoteric spiritual tradition at its core, at its base, in, at the place where it seeks to contact us, to make contact with us from from beyond. How practical it is! I saw a, a interview with the Dalai Lama, and uh, he busy, busy. He was asked by a fellow that, well, how will you end the trouble in the Middle East? He said, I think we have to have festivals. Festival, more festivals. (laughs) And people would we'd go, well, that's a pretty simplistic, you know, approach to the matter. I don't know if that'll pass at the UN, but... uh, but at its heart it's you know he went on a little bit, but this is basically was his was his theme. The people are good at heart, basically. They have to get together and have festivals and, and they'll see what they have in common and so forth. And so it sounds idealistic, but we should be a little idealistic. We should have a high ideal. And um not cave in to the world's uh persistent uh message in, in a sense, as, as it may appear, that uh, you cannot fulfill your, live your dreams, really. A uh, Vedantist is very um, optimistic, pessimistic about the prospect of happiness in, in relation to things that don't endure, but optimistic as a result of moving away from that pursuit. And finding the world of the big world within. I mean, how big is consciousness? And Pujapadshita Murchy used to say, "The stone is only like you know, a part of consciousness. the conception, right? Conceptualization of of matter, stone, matter. The whole meaning, referring to the whole of the material world. There's only one thing that comes out of it. How big is it? How deep? Mm. And uh, what what possibilities lie there if we could plumb the depth?" of consciousness. So it's spiritual progress, this is our our interest. And um, in a path of knowledge, then the removal of ignorance is the sum and substance. And so detachment and its cultivation is the way in which one progresses. But in the bhakti marg, in the path of bhakti, it's very different. We don't progress by detachment but we progress by attachment, by sangha. Sadhu sangha, sadhu sangha, sarva shastra, kohi sadhu sangha sarva siddhi So valuable is that. It will change the course of our life, whether we can trace back to that point in time when such sangha sent us on in the direction of the Godhead. That may be another thing, but it is that point then. Surely, that changed our life and propelled us in this direction. So in Bhakti-marg, the point is that we advance by sangha, not by detachment. Detachment is a byproduct of that sangha. That, Bhagavatam says the same attachment that one has for a worldly person when transferred to a sadhu is the cause of one's uh, liberation. So this is a very kind of positive theology in, in which the, the apparent negative, <coughs> as it appears, of detachment follows as a as a byproduct. And properly understood that detachment is the first step of love. Therefore we say gyny atyashu bayragyam gyanam tukam. Vasudevi bhagavati Bhakti Yoga if that bhakti is in place then gyan vairagya ashu very quickly it's it's uh, manifesting this is the first step in love so detachment is about getting closer to people if it's fully understood therefore we say in gyan marg the whole the whole picture is not given because knowledge is in effect uh, not the whole picture. Not as much, that is to say, as knowledge is merely the, the contrast, the, the, um, the uh, opposite of, of ignorance, of attachment. Knowledge is the whole picture when we understand the full idea of knowledge. What does Krishna say the full idea of knowledge is in Bhagavad Gita? In the beginning of the ninth chapter, he says, Raja Raja-vitim, I'm going to speak about the king of knowledge. The end of knowledge. What does he say about it? Manmana, bhakto become attached to me. That's the end of knowledge. So, in that sense, love is synonymous with knowledge, but in the Ganmar, not much scope for love, but not much interest in Sangha. Al Prabhupada, once in taking bath in the Ganga, one of his the disciples, my god brother, reached his hand out to him to help him come out up onto the shore. So Prabhupada took his hand and he was pulled out. And when he got on the shore, he went, threw his hand down like this. And the disciple went, like, thinking, What did I do wrong? And Prabhupada said, This is my abode. <laughs> this is the Gyanmarg. In other words, you use the guru and then they dispense with him altogether. Up upon a, up upon a Attaining the the result, it's it's, it's only a, um, a a tool to be used. Similarly, the, the the Ishwar conception of Ishwar, Lila, and so forth, all seen at best as a tool, not an end unto themselves. But Bhakti is an end unto itself, and it it is about a um, I guess we could say appropriate attachment. So detachment. As, as viewed from the perspective of bhakti, is about getting closer to people, not getting away from people. Shiva is sitting in meditation. He's easy to understand. We teach about detachment from the temporary, and there he sits, wearing a garland of skulls. and He's depicted as being clothed and only in ashes. Scary figure who you don't want to get close to. And, and he, nobody's close to him there. And when he's depicted as as such, overtly he looks like, wow, this is really different. This is spiritual. He's detached, sitting alone in the in the jungle. And we're a little attracted to that. Or as I've said before, if through religious practice somebody has a lot, a lot of things, we're attracted to that too. A lot of money and big group. Sometimes people say, Swami. How many how many devotees you have in your ashram? Uh, two or three. And then they, they kind of blush and they think, I guess I shouldn't have asked. That's a little embarrassing. He's <laughs> only got two or three. It's not big. It's not. It's not <laughs> there must be nothing going on there. So this is karma and this is jnana. Gyan karmadi anabritam. Bhakti, shuddha bhakti is not about this. It's uncovered by, by the the idea of acquiring makes one big or the idea of by giving up makes one big it's a very very simple thing it's about serving and it's not very attractive <laughs> to get things is attractive or and in fact if you look carefully at it renunciation if it's not tied to bhakti is often very much about getting things getting attention that's all there was a guy who he used to stand on the on the marg, the prikra marg, the, the the path that circumambulates Brindaban on one foot. He used to stand on one foot. And so he's very detached. So many foolish people came and gave him money and so many things. So then after a while he got a swing to kinda of hold himself up and and then he could purchase ganja. It would be even easier to stand on one foot. But so uh the this kind of detachment is about really about ends up about getting things also. It's it's a powerful way actually to get to get things. So bhakti is a is a little harder to understand, perhaps. It's it's just very simple. It's too simple. almost easy to miss. That's the whole story of Bhagavatam. It was easy to miss. Vyasa wrote all the scriptures and, he didn't just come out and say it about bhakti. In no uncertain language, and it chastised him. Bhagavata was written and so forth. But even then, in writing about it, he had to write about it. Ultimately, by, by um, through the narrative of Krishna Leela, and as this young lady was asking me, it seems it's hard to understand. There is Radha and Krishna, attached to one another. But again, simply, uh, detachment is about getting closer to people, not getting moving away from people. How is that, of course? Because without detachment factored into the relationship, a young student of mine from England wrote me and said she was in a particular relationship and she was moving out of it and there was another guy another relationship she was moving into and she wanted to share that with me. (laughs) And she she wondered if I had any thoughts. And I said to her that your infatuation, you should have as much uh, factor, your relationship should be tempered by as much of a pragmatic concern as as it is motivated by infatuation. If you have, a, if it's as practical as you are infatuated, <laughs> then it may work. So the practical is a little. It's just kind of a very crude and basic idea of a little detachment, a little objectivity applied to the relationship. A little knowledge is it going to work? Is this in place? Is that in place? And, and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, as, as much as as that is, then there's prospect for. For coming together and staying together, otherwise that infatuation is uh, is uh, we all know as a stage it 's here today, and like it's all it's gone tomorrow, and they say, what do they say the um the magic is gone <laughs> <laughs> thrill is gone, magic is gone because it was just magic, so you don't expect that it would. Endure in, in the same way, but if it's if it's tempered by thoughtfulness, so detachment <clears throat> means that, in a very basic sense, of course, that in terms of relationship with people, as, as she was talking about it, asking me about it, is that uh, the relationship's not based on taking. Obviously, this world has to be based on taking. We're both we're both both parties are needy, so you know, you, you fill mine needs, I'll fill yours, and so forth, but. But the more that we are detached, the more we can respect a person for what they are. And that's to, to honor them, rather than to make them something that I think they should be. See them only through my lens and relate to them only through my lens. This, uh, uh, then make them only an object of my selfish concerns. Then I'm not seeing them objectively and allowing them to be all that they could be and loving them hmm? as much as loving is about about giving, sharing. Hmm. So, uh, in this sense, then detachment is what I mean by it. it. Is it's about getting closer to people, really caring about people for what they are, seeing through the ultimately seeing through the conventional sense of self with regard to relationships. One of the great Gorky Shirdas Babaji was approached by a fellow who had just gotten married and, uh, and when I announced his marriage and Babaji Maharaj said, Oh, very good. And here he is living in the, in the jungle and eating only a doll, uh, uh, mung bean doll soaked in, in Ganji's water in an old skull from a cremation ground. And this, this is, and, oh, very good. He married. Very nice, he said. Then he began to tell him that they should see your wife like a gopi and treat her like this. And it was a very esoteric kind of uh, uh, advice. But uh, if you look at the core of that, then there was no, there was full of uh, detachment and no exploitation in that. And uh, so detachment is about really getting closer to people. When you look at it properly, it's not about moving away from people. And so, appropriately, the highest degree of uh, detachment, if you will, that that expresses itself as love is depicted as uh, Radha and Krishna, madly attached to one another. But there's no selfish concern there. Bandha Krishna Sambande Yukta Bhairagyam, which is Goswami's famous verse. He's um, not making much of detachment there he says attachment to things that are related to Krishna this is our detachment that's all Uddhava said in Bhagavatam just by wearing the vestments of Krishna which are very royal and opulent in Dwarka, you can imagine he was the prince what kind of clothes he wore I mean your daughters would have loved to have been you know his uh, in his makeup room and in his wardrobe, <laughs> An incredible opportunity huh? uh, to get him ready to enter into the palace for the meeting every day. Huh? And so Uddhava said, just by wearing the vestments of Krishna, the hand-me-downs of Krishna, then we will. This is the end of knowledge. We will attain everything by the by this this very opposite idea of obviously just wear, wearing a. Loincloth and clothing yourself in ashes, and so on. We're not, of course, uh, denigrating the position of Shiva, Vaishnav Anamita Shambhu, and we have a very uh, healthy appreciation of his position as a Vaishnav and uh, as and transformation of Vishnu. And He represents a particular thing in that way. He's often depicted, and so forth. There's a lesson to be learned from that, we're talking about it. So Uddhava's idea was like just wearing the vestments, the hand-me-downs of Krishna. This will be the sum and substance of our renunciation. Eating the food left by him on his plate. This is our idea of renunciation, which is, is its obviously an attachment to to him, dependence upon him, reliance upon him. Uh, detachment in, in, in itself, separate from this bigger idea that it's part of, fosters a kind of hard-heartedness. And... Uh, uh, individuality and, uh, rather than a dependence and a soft-heartedness and so forth but, uh, so uh, central to bhakti so again Rupa Goswami's definition of renunciation was uh, to be attached to things that are useful in Krishna's service and this is the whole idea of the Lila. Mm. this is the Dhammadar month of course, Kartik month and uh, we sing beautiful damodar and um, remember the lay love of, of uh, krishna vrindavan there he's just a uh, uh, young kumar young child he hasn't become a kafir yet even and the village is busy with the indri preparing the indri and it's a big affair a sacrifice for the satisfaction of, Vish- of, 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 of Indra, who gives rains, which are necessary for the grains to feed our cows, which are our livelihood because we're cow people, cow herds. So, let us propitiate the god of rain. Sounds very pre-modern, to say the least, and uh, not a very sophisticated theology or philosophy. But if we look carefully at the at and Leela, which also occurs in this month, and which has connection with the Dhammadar Leela, as I'm explaining, we find such high philosophy there, high, such high theology, a theology of brain, far beyond mere detachment, knowledge that is the, the opposite of the ignorance of material existence, far, far beyond that. The whole uh, Raja Leela is showcasing this idea of, of brain, and difficult to understand, Nanda Maharaj they're the king and queen of the cowards so they have a big entourage she has plenty of help in the house but all this help was out busy helping to prepare for the Indra Yaga so she's home alone with Krishna and nursing him and then the milk on the stove begins to boil over so she makes a decision to put him down and go and tend to the milk so how, how do we understand this? She's got Krishna, the Param Brahma, in her arms, and he's suckling her the milk from her breast, overflowing with uh, with uh, affection. Milk is about affection. You know, you hear it like the milk ocean. This is the idea. It's a, it's a, the milk land there, the cow land. It's a, it's it's a, an affectionate place. This is Golok. Full of affection, intimacy. It's full of specificity, detail. That that facilitates, as I said, mentioned last night, love. It looks smaller than Vaikuntha, which looks smaller than Brahman. The big expanse, right? That has no. Up, no down, no left, no right, Brahman, everywhere, consciousness, infinite, this is big, spacious, accommodating, and then it comes, by Kuntha, you get, it's depicted like a planet, and there's forms and people, and it's a big place, but then you go to Golok, and Braj, and it's just a small little village. But what this represents is a growth of affection. It's measured by affection, by rasa. How much affection is there in Brahman? <laughs> There's no one else there, or that's the, the perception. So, without another, some sense of another, what is the prospect of affection? The Gosamis have been I'm quick to point out that the bliss of Brahman is nothing more than the negation, practically, of the suffering of material existence. You say, nothing more? That's, a, that's huge. It is big, yes, but what is their perspective then? You're embodied, you're, you're, you're limited in so many ways, as I mentioned last night, we are a unit of consciousness. We've come to human life. We're feeling the fact of what we are as opposed to the less co- complex forms of life wherein consciousness is there. But consciousness is only the perception of feelings. Not, it doesn't rise to self-consciousness. We're consciousness of th- conscious of things. We can feel the heat, the cold, uh, the, and we can see forms, and we're consciously perceiving. But what else we have... In terms of being conscious or consciousness in human life is what is a sense of self that I exist in the less complex forms of life this is not manifest anywhere to the same degree they certainly can't philosophize and uh, and be so good that they philosophize away their own self existence which unfortunately <laughs> happens sometimes in the name of philosophy they do away with consciousness altogether. Reduce it simply to, to the brain. The feeler then becomes nothing but something is felt by whom? How? You got to get pretty, pretty wordy and, and pretty convoluted to support such. And some people are pretty good at that. Krishna says in the Gita, "I give you the strength to do that if you want. If there's your faith, I give you the power to do that." But that's what's going on in those books. And, ways of thought, and so forth. So, so, what's big? Space? Space is big. If you're in a small, confined area like this body, you only have two eyes to see whatever is out there. How can you see my, with those two eyes? With two ears, you only have two holes in the sides of your head to hear all the things that are to be heard. So it's, it's limited. We feel like we could do more. We could taste more. We could see more. We could, we could do whatever, Anything. Hmm. we could fly in the sky like i said last night we could go to the bottom of the ocean this is because consciousness has such it is above nature you feel like we can rise above nature and we can but by going within not by going without not by going head to head physically with nature thinking ourselves to be nothing more than physical A small unit of that working against the whole so we can rise above but we can come to a spacious plane Brahman it's all a lot of room up there if you will it's everywhere it's nowhere that it's not the great absolute very spacious and the the suffering of the constraints if you will of material existence Material, material existence is kind of a constraint upon the soul you can't just lift off you want to, you feel that you could because you're feeling yourself and self has that potential. But we're we're constrained by our attachments, our embodiment and so forth. So to rise above that and become free from those constraints, that is uh, certainly a high sense of freedom. It's spacious and it's accommodating in that sense, much more so than the oppressive condition that we find ourselves in, driven by our mind's demands and the demands of the senses and so forth, but as I've said before, the most accommodating thing is not space; it's affection. You could live in the closet if you had some, if you loved someone, and they were there too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? The whole world could burn down, but you know, the two of us are together in the hollow of a tree, and that's enough. And that's how it feels, isn't it? Affection is accommodating more than space. So these worlds, if you will, of Vaikuntha and Golok, from the big Brahman, they start to look like the small material world again, don't they? There's houses they talk about, and there's people and there's cows, and, and they're attached to one another and, uh, and so forth. Vaikuntha, there's palaces and, and uh, all kinds of opulence, and it's bigger, but the, the pastor of Golok... Well, it's a small little place. Looks just like something on earth. Very similar. And Krishna, there in Goloka, in, in, in the brudge, he's not even wearing a crown. He's wearing a peacock's feather. That's his crown. He's not wearing all kind of fancy jewels. He's wearing the uh, ointment, ointments, uh, 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 taking the different clays and uh, mixing them with uh, with different... Uh, with uh, Different substances, making them different colors, and decorating himself like this. It's not big. It's small, but small is uh, uh, less is more, something like that. But the more here is is affection. So you have to look at these worlds, material world, no affection. It's a kind of meanness. We are all like needy, and so we kind of work out a deal sometimes, <laughs> you know, a treaty. You know, okay, we'll have a treaty here. I'll marry you, and you marry me. We'll have a treaty, and we'll we'll you know agree to. You do this for me; I'll do that for you. And it's a good thing, and it, it's progressive, obviously, compared to not being married and just all oh, that uh, involves uh, to harness your desires and your needs and so forth, and uh, acknowledge them, and legalize them, so to speak, and progress from there. It's, it's a good thing. It's a sacrifice. Uh, you might. Prefer to just run here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> but uh, so, nonetheless, it's a treaty. Is not we'll make a treaty. The bottom line, but it's it's tenuous. It could be broken. Uh, you make it. It's kind of a truce, I guess you could say. We make a truce. But uh, the fighting could break out again at any time. <laughs> at any time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So material existence is, is problematic like this. It's, it's kind of mean, mean-spirited. Vokhisattva Sarasthitaka said it's not a fit place for a gentleman or a woman. <laughs> hmm. But if we uh, go then from there to Brahman, if we detach, if we give up this, all this exploitation, become full within, by going within and finding the fullness of the Self, then it's uh, that there's some kind of abstract sense of affection and love in that. Like I say, if that detachment is the first stage in love, if we play it out, we see it's really about getting closer to people, not hiding away from them in the Brahman. Hiding away. I can't see anybody else. There's nobody else here. I don't even know if I'm here, but I know I'm not suffering. I, there's no suffering. The sense of I is so painful in material existence to maintain. Give it up. This is what I said. Give up the sense of I. And it's, an, it's, it's euthanasia. This is it. Bramagang. Bram euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Spiritual euthanasia. Spiritual suicide. But looking at the map, if you will, of the whole of the metaphysical map that includes things that we don't know and things that we think we know we think we know the material world we yeah. don't unless we know it from a yogic and spiritual perspective common people think they know the material world and that supernatural world they don't even know or think maybe it doesn't exist it's not known well, they don't even re- if you really knew the material world, then you would know the natural world, then you would know the supernatural world also. And if you do away with the supernatural world, you do it with the natural world too. This was the point of Nietzsche. Hmm. It's often missed a great existentialist uh, philosopher. Hmm. His whole point of God is dead, it's really about this. It's the death of metaphysics, which he says is, 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 is makes the world empty as well. That's what he's saying. With the death of metaphysics and the positing of a supernatural world, this world becomes empty also. And the existential angst, alienation, that's an often misunderstood uh, point. So the collapsing of the supernatural is the collapsing of the natural in terms of it's having any meaning, and if it doesn't have a meaning, where's the motivation? We go in the direction of nihilism. I don't think he was a nihilist entirely, but some people certainly portray him like that, and there are elements of that there, that despair. So, no. Natural and supernatural, so to speak, both sides. It's all supernatural, actually. That's, that's the real vision. It's all supernatural. Uh, but uh, with, when we paint m- the metaphysical map, if you will, of the pre-moderns, of the perennialists, and of the, in the instance, of the Gaudias here, we have the material, you know, like Prabhupada's a painting of it on his Bhagavatam. He liked that very much, that painting on this original Bhagavatam uh, of the first canto. There's this big blue sky, and in that sky of Brahman, there are all these Vaikunthas, worlds. And then in the center of it all and depicted as bigger than all of the Vaikunthas. There's a big open lotus and there you find what? You find this Radha and Krishna attached to one another. A few cows and just in the background Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was dancing. Navadvip Svartadvip is there. And then this tiny little bubble portion, little bubble, is the material world. Every time we come from Aodari, our monastery in Northern California down into San Francisco, we have to cross the beautiful Golden Gate Bridge. So we're coming from a beautiful, remote, forest monastery, and into the big city across the bridge, and out in the ocean is this little island. Alcatraz. <laughs> it's not functional anymore, but it used to be, you know, the secure prison. So I always think of it like that. There's the material world. They're breaking bricks. And they're thinking, this is everything, this is the whole world here. Maybe there's something out there. I don't even thought they had windows, you know, probably not. That really agitate them <laughs> to see the life going on outside. So that's the material world San Francisco. That's like the Baikuntha and... Uh, Odarya is like our monastery, like Golok, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a small, small uh, portion of existence. And it's like a bubble that has a thin membrane in it, on it. So if you look carefully, you can kind of see through. And the other greater expanse sometimes shines through. You can get some hazy idea. There's something more, there's something outside the bubble. Outside of the bubble, you can you can you can pass through that thin membrane and enter into the big expanse of all that is uh, of all existence, and all that big expanse is all degrees of affection and possibility of intimacy with the absolute. So when you look at the map without a philosophical eye and good guidance, or when you just hear about it. In uh, descriptively, without a commentary, if you will, then that Golok looks like this tiny little narrow-minded space of material existence. Brahman is big. That's obviously spiritual. You're free from the oppression and the restrictions, the constricting nature of material existence, how att- attachment constricts our life we think that by attachment we're going to enhance our life but it, it only becomes constricted right we we attach ourselves to to things we feel needy and then we we're implicated and we we're in we're in debt and and so forth it's a constricting kind of life it's a false false kind of freedom so we, anyway coming out from that to brahman it's big and spacious but then these Vaikundas look smaller and goloka looks even smaller but the idea is what that it's a world of affection because when you detach, this is the beginning of love. So you play it out fully. It's about getting closer to people, and closer to people in the context. How can you get closer to people by detachment, by knowledge, by becoming closer to the center? So this Brajlila, Golok, this damodar lila. Why she put the child down and goes to tend the milk? If you understand Krishna in a basic sense, Param Brahman, she's got Param Brahman suckling the milk from her breast. She puts him down just to go tend to some milk. What's that? See, it's difficult to understand the Brajlila, even if you understand Krishna as the Supreme Brahman. She put him down, he was upset. Traumatized. That's why years later he took on Indra. When we got a little older about seven years old. He started to think a little philosophically and he thought, in my youth, you're the one that traumatized me because of you and your need for adoration and so forth. I was traumatized in my childhood. (laughs) Mother put me down on the floor when I was drinking her breast milk. So, he had a psychological motive for taking on injury. He wanted to get, you know, in in balance. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and put every and put the tension back on himself for all of the brudge, as it appeared to be otherwise. Of course it wasn't, and this is the whole idea of the brudge leela. And this is what, where we come to with, with the idea of Yukta Bhairagya, Rupa Goswami, attachment, detachment from things that belong to Krishna, which is everything, right? Mm-hmm. Knowledge of proprietorship should foster detachment within us. If we're just a little honest. If I know it belongs to somebody else, then my tendency to take it for myself will be diminished to that extent. Right? If, you're, if you see, it used to be, forgive me, I'm a little older, but if you used to be if you saw a ring on a girl's left, third, whatever it was, I guess it's second or third, fourth, which, which way you count from it. <laughs> then you know she's taken, right? Then you would you'd back off. She belongs to someone. I thought that sounds a little sexist, but uh, yeah, they didn't mean it like that. So knowledge of proprietorship fosters detachment, naturally. If you're a decent person, you know it belongs to somebody else. If it belongs to somebody else, then you're not going to take it for yourself, Right? Unless nobody's looking, but then... <laughs> if, you know somebody, if you're thoughtful, you know nothing goes unseen, right? Everything's being recorded. So here it's, if there's a big video um, uh, monitor out there, <laughs> nothing is missed. Nature is, 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 has intelligence in it. A lot of intelligence. If, if it's to record the whole karma, which means that every nuance of every thought... It's a pretty, pretty powerful computer. Pretty powerful intelligence invested kind of in, in, into nature, which does the accounting and and, and prints out the you know the, the, the future. What corresponds with such action, such thought, and what was the, the degree of the motive, and all this very refined instrument of material nature, and it's a then what is that in relation to Krishna in terms of refinement? And So anyway, in the Brajlila, Krishna's traumatized, he's put down. Why is she running after the milk? You see, this is a theological question that needs to be asked. Why is she running after the milk? The answer is that she's attached to Krishna and everything else, that she sees always and at all times in relation to him. So she can be fully involved, if you will, with things which would seem ordinary, and the world fully involved, full throttle, to the extent that it might look like she's not even interested in spiritual life. Therefore, Vaishnava Merakriya, the activities of the Vaishna are very difficult to understand. You have to trace out the motive. She's fully attached to Krishna and she sees everything in relationship. So she's fully attentive to every duty, every responsibility. And in her inner consciousness, that's all tied. She's doing it all in relation to her love for Krishna. Love is expressive. It's full of all types of activities. right? So a love life, a life of real love, it has to be dynamic, moving, full of the whole range of human experience. It's not just sitting in the forest with, you know, covered with ashes. This detachment comes full circle to an apparent att- attachment that's really the whole heart of detachment fully manifesting. If detachment again corresponds with knowledge, then we take knowledge to its fullest expression, it comes to love. Right? Brahman is knowledge but and it's spacious, it's accommodating, it's, it's warm and fuzzy but affection of Vaikuntha, the affection of, of Golok, the intensification of Rasananda these, these planets are distanced by rasa not by miles they're planes of, of degrees of properly centered affection that corresponds then with detachment but when it's fully fully blossomed, bearing the fruit, then it, it warrants a full interaction, a full life, so to speak. Therefore, Vishram Purnam Sukhayate, Vishwanam Chakravita, so the whole world is an abode of joy. We could talk about it from the one side, it's, it's miserable, it's a mean place. Now here's talking, coming in full circle, talking about it the other way. Seeing it all in relation to Krishna, nothing separate from him, nothing independent, interacting fully with everything in relation to the center. So that milk was important. She made a decision. Krishna had been sneaking out and eating the milk in other people's houses, in their butter and their yogurt and causing so much mischief there. And people said, he, he, the neighbors complained to that your son is coming and stealing the yogurt from our house. He seems to like the stolen yogurt more than than, than than uh you know than his own. I mean what could be more fun for somebody that owns everything than to than to steal? What else could you call it but fun? <laughs> 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 but play. So, therefore, Nana Marash was met in Modiasoda had to nag her husband. What's going on? You know, our boy is going out, the neighbors are complaining. You're not providing, you're the head of the coward, but you're not providing enough sweet enough milk so he took the special cows and grazed them on special grasses and that milk was being churned on the stove so there's so much devotion had gone into that milk of nanda marjan and the assisting so that she she could put him down from her breast milk and tend to that milk as a kind of a spiritual exercise of intelligence in material existence, we exercise our intelligence in, in ways, we discriminate in, in ways to facilitate the demands of our senses. We think, well, if I do this over there, I'll get that, and that will bring me more happiness. And this is a total misuse of intelligence. When it's wedded to the demands of the senses, it becomes corrupted. So there's lust then in the intelligence that has to be weeded out. We have to move away from that. Use intelligence to help us rise above the very call of the senses, which is a folly if it's in pursuit of enduring happiness and fulfilling life. Because the objects of the senses don't endure, right? So use your intelligence to regulate. That's what yoga is about. You have to eat, but eat in a certain way. You have to have some relaxation, but in a certain way in a way that doesn't compromise or get in the way of your spiritual progress. So this is a good use of intelligence. But in full-blown spiritual life, what is the intelligence? Here in material world, we may use our intelligence to determine whether there is God or not. Use our, our logic. Anyway, think about it. There, it's not a question of that. It's just how to serve best in any given instance. The intelligence facilitates that. How to best serve in any given instance. So she put the baby down, pushed him down, tended to the milk on the stove. So this is an example. Then another example. She's the girl. The lady saw the picture of Radha and Krishna. Her student did. This is an, there. She is Mother Yasoda, holding her child. Pictured on. Her. It looks like attachment. And we are teaching about detachment. So, these are my thoughts. Any question? That means attachment is always with us. There's no way to get rid of. But to focus our our attention and attention to Krishna, that's called attachment. Yeah, in a sense, there's there's no way to get around that. We are, to use Prabhupada's terminology, part and parcel of Krishna. So we are attached to Him, whether we know it or not. <laughs> that Shakti that we we're, we're constituted of is dependent upon Krishna. It has its foundation in Krishna. It's not independent. In that sense, it's one with Krishna. So, it has no independent existence, so it is attached in that sense to To be conscious of that, then our dependence, that we're a dependent entity, this is the proper understanding. Because when we say that we're part of ourselves, Krishna, that means uh, we're equal in quality, right? But that means Lord Krishna is always attached to. This beauty these qualities it's attached to love to Radha that's what Radha emanates from Yeah, and from Radha comes Bhakti into our heart through Guru Parampara Ladini comes through her she is the channel to bring the drop to the ocean we are a drop Krishna is the ocean Radha is the channel by which we go and it manifests as Guru Parampara. So we think about it, really. Detachment is about getting closer to people. That's why the devotees are so depicted as being so attached to one another. Narottams beating his head against with stone. you know, Metaphorically, I've lost the association of Sanatana, Rupa, and and so forth. So, and they're having passed on to the Mithilila... These, these devotees are hopelessly attached people to Krishna and it manifests to, to, to one another. They like that sangha, they're dependent upon that. So, there are all, so many devotees here in Portland. You should come together become attached to one another by being devotees. If you're really a devotee, your life is centered on Krishna, then you'll develop attachment to others who are similarly making that kind of sacrifice and uh, and you can strengthen that. Yes. This exercise So, um, how to make the progress for detachment? By sangha. Sangha That means it's kind of attachment, right? Let me ask you this: Did you find this discussion helpful coming here today? Yeah. Find it helpful? It's making you think about. It's making you ask that question, right? Right. So, this is what's helping you. You want to know how to become detached? How to, how, to, how to do that? This is how to do it. The more you think about it, what you think about, you do. What you talk about, you do. What you think about, you talk about. What you talk about, you should do. <laughs> so, the idea is that to create an environment where this is the talk, this is the discussion. These are the thoughts. It's easy. Is it hard to come here? Has it been hard to sit here? No. Not too hard. Not the floor's a little hard. <laughs> you know, it's not too hard. It's not too difficult. This is the process. This is how to do it. Then you go home and think, how do I do that? And you know, and, and, you know don't go home. <laughs> Or you transport this to your home. You invite me to your home. Not only me, but uh, some some, some sadhu, some real sadhu hmm, to your home. So, uh, of course, I'm speaking in a funny way about it, but it's true. And this is my point to begin with. By sangha, we progress. And a symptom of that progress will be our detachment. Without focusing on detachment, but by focusing on sangha. Because this is real sadhu sangha. This is what goes on in real sadhu sangha. We talk about these things, so you have to think about them. You go away, and you think about it, you, you, you dream about it at night, or you wake up in the morning at some point is stuck there and so forth. So you, a continual flow of that. Therefore, Tadoshanadash vartmani shradharati Anukram 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 means step by step. So you want to know how to go step by step, Bhagavad says. Satam prasanga by Satsanga where Mamavirya Sambhiro where my, my Krishna speak, where my birya, my, my heroic activities, my leelas, are the topic of discussion. Satatam kirantomam tushyantichara muntichara Bodayantasparasparam Krishna is saying this is this is what the sadhus, this is what they do, the sadhus they talk about me. Satam prasanga mamaviri samvido bhavanti hritkarna rasayana kata. And that talk about me, about my heroic deeds that permeates the sadhu sangha, that is a rasayanam. Rasayanam. A rejuvenating elixir. And hritkarna rasayanam kata. You understand? That karna, if you get in that sangha where that kata is going on that rasayana of harikata it'll go in your ear you don't have to do anything you're just present there it'll go inside your ear and if it is Sadhusanga, it won't stop here it won't circle around and (laughs) go out the other side at least some of it will go down and stay in the heart and Make a temple there. Start to make a temple. Put a put a, put a foundation block in place. Another one. So this is the whole method, this is the whole process. And it's so easy. It's so nice. Sadhu Sangha. And Krishna says there. This is the upavarga uh, This is the path to liberation. And you go by this method, Anukram, step by step, from Shraddha to Rati. Shraddha Sadhusanga, Rati Rati, from Shraddha to Rati, from Shraddha to Preem. There steps Sadhusanga, Shraddha Sadhusanga, bhajanakriya, Kriya Anarthanibritti, Nishta, Ruchi, Asakti bhava and prem, anukram, step by step, by hearing, associating, who you associate with, then you, nice company, you start to act like them, yeah. if you listen to certain people's music, then you start to act like them, right? Yeah. So this is the way, by sangha, by association, that will be brought about, otherwise your attempts, Will be somewhat artificial. They won't have the same power. You may do things that you, know, you may fast on certain days. I think sometimes someone would meet with Prabhupada, and they'd say some guests. And I've heard sometimes in conversations, people say, uh, "So he would offer some prasad. And at the end of the talk, "No, I'm I'm fasting." And Prabhupada said, "What for? What for?" What's the purpose of your fasting, he found no value in that, in and of itself. Fasting, what? Well, you know, to be detached and and something like that. His idea was, well, oh, you know, if it's in relation to Krishna fasting or ekadasi or the then it, so the whole. You understand know, the point? The detachment, the activity of not eating, is not central to the observance of Ikadasi, the pleasure of Krishna's is central. That's just something that happens because you haven't got time to eat. Too busy arranging a festival for hari, hari, Hari's day. Special day. This day, he, his his senses are more agitated because the water in the body on is pressing on the senses, so Krishna can accept more on that day. This is the idea. <laughs> so, so, this is bhakti, very very positive theology. So, this is the way how you do this. This is the way. This, so, create some group here, have sadhusanga. And if you don't think there are any sadhus amongst you, you may not be looking closely enough, or you can bring them from somewhere else. By affection, they'll come by your neediness you have to express it don't be afraid to speak up I need help if people call loudly enough some sadhu will hear and come there for sure sometimes people ask me when I speak about the importance of sadhu sangha and they say well I live in Timbuktu and there's no no association there what should I do I tell them move (laughs) that's one answer you can move or you can Speak loud enough. And with enough affection, enough neediness, some sadhu will have to come there. They have to come. Because they're moving by affection's force. There's no law making the sadhu move. It doesn't have to go. It doesn't need that. Is there enough affection? And affection should be shown practically also. How do you show your affection? You spend money. There's one way. <laughs> That's practical. You buy somebody, you buy your wife a car, or you know your children. You have affection for them, so you have some energy, so you spend it on them. So bring Sadhus here. Then you you would grow in a detachment very naturally and happily in a very happy way. Well, oh, this detachment is such a harsh word, isn't it? And you should be detached. Everybody's <laughs> up against the wall. <laughs> but we have to explain it properly. By, by explaining bhakti, it's very happy then. Happy. Living, because you've got something better. You've got better company. So you leave the bad company behind. Does that help? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, what's the difference between the jnana yoga and bhakti yoga? I think so. Well, I did say something about that, but um, you see, Gyan Yoga is a little bit artificial, a little bit of an artificial attempt. Let's say, if you, you know, bamboo? If you cut off the bamboo, like that. But the roots remain, it will come up again. Right? So, Ganmark is a little bit like that cutting off the bamboo, but not getting to the root of the problem of material existence. Because material existence is rooted in an enjoying spirit. Do you follow me? We want to enjoy, we're the takers. We want to be the center. We want to be the enjoyer. So material existence is rooted in this enjoying spirit. If through knowledge and its culture, we understand that there's no enjoyment to be had in material existence. So we, we, we develop a, a method for ceasing from interacting with all the um, appearances of the world, the things that are here today and gone tomorrow, and cultivate directly and overtly detachment. This is something about Ganmark. But the problem is what? That our material existence is rooted in enjoying. So how will you take the root root out? You have to replace the enjoying spirit with the serving spirit. And in Gyanmarg, where's the service? In the realm of karma, I want to be the enjoyer. In ganmarg I realize there's no enjoyment to be had. I don't want to suffer. The karmi wants to enjoy, but actually he only suffers. The Ghani realizes that and doesn't want to suffer. So he takes a method to stop suffering. One is a taker the karmi, and the other, he stops taking because he realizes this taking is false and I'm just suffering. But he doesn't want to suffer. And the bhakta, what does she do? She thinks differently. She doesn't want to take. She doesn't want to run away from suffering. She wants to serve. So this is a complete uprooting then. Of the material existence, it's rooted in trying to enjoy. Halfway kind of measure is to try to stop the suffering by stopping from interacting. But the full measure and solution is to uproot the serving plant and or <laughs> an enjoying plant and put the bhakti plant in. Bhakti lata, bija. To get the bhakti bija and a life of of service. This is more beautiful and selfless. One person says, I want to have, like a child, I want this, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want, that. I, want I want. You might have heard that before. <laughs> we did it before. We do it now, even as adults, but it's not as crude and obvious, perhaps. So this is the common mark. We're on the take. And from this, a very childish idea of God arises, if at all. A very childish idea of God. That God is the order supplier of me. He exists for that purpose. Oh, I have to make some prayer or something and give a rupee, but he's going to give a lot more back. <laughs> mm-hmm. He doesn't need anything anyway. So it's a very childish idea of God. And from Karma Mark, we go to Gyan. And Gyan Mark is the Karma, Karma Mark. I want, I want, I want, I want. Uh-huh and the and the is, is is i don 't want to suffer i don 't want to suffer i don't want to suffer. i don 't want any trouble okay don 't bother me i don 't want to work i don 't want to move all this movement is troublesome in the karma realm i don 't want to stop shanti 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 i want peace it 's understandable that someone could be driven in that direction but it 's not a comprehensive solution to the problem because in the karma mark, the problem is you want something that belongs to somebody else. In gyan mark, you still have not acknowledged who it belongs to and, and started acting accordingly. It's also very childish. I don't want to suffer. If I can't have it, then I'm not going to do anything. If I can't have it, I'm going to go stand in the corner then. And I'm not going to do anything. It's also childish, right? And there in Gyanmarg, the, the idea of God kind of evaporates. It tends to evaporate. Into very abstract idea of, of Brahman. And, and in Bhakti Mark, God comes out in full. And is a lover. Not just a business connection. In Karma Mark, he's a business connection. and In Gyanmarg, he disappears. And in bhakti marg, then he comes as a lover. So this is the difference. You have to uproot the enjoying spirit or the unwillingness to serve. That's a, that's a shadow of the enjoying spirit. One is overt, enjoying spirit taking. The other is more um, covert. It's a shadow of it. I don't want to serve. Okay, I won't take. I won't take. I won't steal anything. But I don't want to do... I don't want to work either. But Bhakti Master, I'm ready to go to work. That's Bhakti. I'm ready to report in for work. I've understood the center, the proprietor, and I like him. He's a nice guy. I want to work for him. <laughs> so, it's nice to sit with all of you and... um and yeah, my recommendation is you should get together yourselves. Prasad-a-saṅga. It's, it's, uh, it's not something to do... Um oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's try that. This should be, should be, our lives should be centered around it, really. So, all right, we'll stop there. Shri-sri guranga ki jai, Viri Vaishnava Guru-paramparā ki jai, gaur bhakta ki jai, Kaur-pre-manandai,